I'm Ellie Hill and welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness, the mess and the uncertainty of our world. Grief, it strikes all of us. Sometimes it creeps up and other times we experience it through sudden moments. Making the topic of grief more open and less awkward are two incredible friends. Sally Douglas and Imogen Khan are the creators and co-hosts of Good Morning, a podcast and online support community on a mission to normalise talking about grief through wholehearted conversations with honesty and humour. They joined the club, a club that no one really wants to be a part of, when their mums both died suddenly just months apart in late 2019 and early 2020. Noticing a lack of resources that talked about grief in a candid way, they launched Good Morning to shine a light on the realities of grief, to provide support and education on what loss is really like. In this conversation, we chat about navigating grief. We talk about what surprised them about their own grief experiences, the importance of setting boundaries, and what are Sally and Imogen's guilty pleasures. If grief is something that you are currently experiencing, it's important to reach out. Good Morning have great resources and always know that you can reach out to Lifeline on 13 11 14. Sal and Im's connection, humour and care are infectious. Please lean in to this important conversation with Sal and Im. Sal, Im, it is such a delight to be chatting with you today. So nice to be here, Ali. Thanks for having us on. Thank you so much for having us. There is a number of questions I want to dive into, but let me start by um, talking a little bit about who you are for both of you. Uh, I had a quick look on your website and one of the things that you have both shared is your guilty pleasures. So Sal, I'll go to you first, yours being British TV. Tell me, what is your go-to? Oh, my go-to is absolutely... My go-to is Line of Duty, the best crime drama series of all time and the pinnacle of good British TV. I think being a Brit and living in Australia, I find it really soothing and it just makes me feel like I'm at home. And my husband always jokes that I love miserable British TV, but you can't beat a British crime drama. They're always good. They are always good. <laughs> uh, Im, I'll go to, go to you, guilty pleasure of swearing. What's your go-to? <laughs> uh, swearing is one. Sal keeps trying to get me to watch Line of Duty, but I haven't yet. Um, it was also my mum's favourite TV show, which we'll obviously get into talking about our mums mm. at some point. But, yeah, it was my mum's favourite TV show too. So when I met Sal and she was like, my favourite TV show is Line of Duty. I was like, what? You are my mother. <laughs> she would have loved you. Um, but, yes, yeah, swearing is one of my guilty pleasures. And um, sound bowl healing is another thing that I love, like sound bowl or anything like energy healing or anything that makes me feel good. Cause a lot of the time I'm like running on anxious energy. So things that help calm me down, I'm all here for. <laughs> it's probably less guilty and more just important pleasures, things that actually <laughs> probably <laughs> get through okay, the chocolate, day. Chocolate. <laughs> chocolate, chocolate and swearing one. go together really. And really swearing. Well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love to hear a little bit about, um, background and, um, some of the work that you do before we dive into, what you've created with your podcast and community. So Sally, I know you've got a background in PR. Tell me a little bit about um, 
your career? What got you into PR and what is it that, that you really value about that work? I, I've worked for various um, global multinational and independent agencies for the last decade. And I got into PR because I'm really interested in what makes people tick. And I actually wanted to be a journalist when I was studying at university. So I did a literature degree, um, did loads of journalism internships and interned at British Vogue, which was a real eye opener. Um, And then I decided to um, explore PR as well. So did loads of PR internships and yeah, ended up um, falling into that career. And I absolutely love it because I love communicating things that really matter and also distilling, you know, really distilling messages into something that people that are going to make people tick. Um, so that kind of human behavior piece, I think, is really central to what we do as as PR professionals. So I love it. Absolutely love it. And I love, you know, all of the sort of content creation that comes with PR now and that kind of strategic piece. And um, so, so, yeah, I've worked with lots of amazing brands and, um, you know, big household names. And it's been a really fulfilling career. Imogen, let me throw to you. Talk to me a little bit about, um, I haven't been able to discern or discover what what your career has been. Talk to me a little bit about um, your life prior to podcast and community creation. Well, um, I was in TV production, so mainly reality TV. Um, I had worked in Sydney and then I was living in London, working in development over there. And then I moved back to Sydney in 2000 and I can't even remember the year now. It was like a good, maybe four years ago. And then I started working back into reality TV here. So I was working on The Voice, um, which was the last show that I did. And then I fell pregnant. Um, I was about to go and do I'm a Celebrity, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here in South Africa. And uh, my child had other plans. So, yeah, so it was a, yeah, <laughs> a spanner in the works for me. I didn't get to go and do that job, which I was really excited about. But instead, I had a beautiful baby girl. And then I was off on maternity leave and then my mum sadly died and I never went back into TV. It was too fast paced, too hectic, 16 hour days. As a mum, that's hard enough, but as a grieving mum, it felt almost impossible to even look back at that. So yeah, fell into podcasting, which has been amazing. Um, Also a lot of work, but rewarding at the same time. Was that a tough decision to recognise that, hey, I'm not going to be able to fall back into that? Or was that actually really clear decision to go I just do not have the bandwidth to be able to deliver I know what needs to be delivered it felt really clear for me Um, I think it was sort of a decision that I needed to make anyway I think when I had my daughter I was like I can't go back into that it's just working tv such a big commitment and it's so full-on that I wouldn't be able to give her as much of my time and I'd probably be away for work a lot and I wouldn't know how to juggle that so it was yeah it was a bit of a no-brainer for me um it was so much fun working in telly though it's such a great environment such a great culture had so many amazing memories but I feel like it's good for when you're young with a lot of energy Mm. but yeah so it was fairly easy decision for me to make. The podcast that you created and continue to put out into the world is called Good Morning and you are supporting a community to 
talk about grief in a way that brings honesty and humor. And I want to spend a bit of time talking a bit about grief, but let's talk about what got you to that because both yourself, Imogen and Sally have joined a group, a club that no one really wants to be a member of, but you become a member of um, through the passing of both of your mums in within a matter of months. Um, and I understand that you met at a through a support group, a grief support group. Imogen, if I can go to you first, um, in terms of losing a parent and losing a beloved mum so suddenly is, is a really tough experience to go through. What was it that prompted you to to reach out for for help, for support in the throes of grief? Loneliness, which is something that a lot of people aren't prepared for when they go into grief. I felt incredibly alone in what I was going through, even though I was supported by friends and family, I had good support. I still felt like nobody got it. Nobody understood what I was going through. And I just really craved to connect with someone who I could relate to that was sort of outside my family. Um, being 32 when my mum died, a lot of, you know, a lot of our peers hadn't been through a big loss yet. And we just felt like, yeah, we just needed someone to talk to that could understand the complexity and the magnitude of losing a mom, you know, or any parent in your early thirties or any, at any age, you know, it's such a huge loss as I know you would understand Ali after the loss of your dad, which we're so sorry mm. for, by the way, but it's, it's a huge loss that we're not prepared for. So that's what drew me to reach out for support to, yeah, try and connect with somebody who I could relate to. Can you describe a little bit of what the, you know, loneliness sums it up, but what some of those experiences that you were going through that was just so hard to try and share or communicate or to, um, for people to really understand? I think if you haven't been through grief, there's this big expectation from society that we should be over it or moving on or getting back to normal by, you know, even a few months after the funeral, which isn't the reality of it. It's exhausting. It's anxiety inducing. It's so many things that just people have no idea about. It's not just sadness. And I feel like, yeah, just having someone that understood that is so validating and reassuring. And yeah, I think that's one of the main, the main things that people don't realize is it doesn't end when the funeral ends. We don't move on with our lives and get back to normal. That just doesn't happen. And it's not a reality. And it's almost at that time that it's even a bigger void because people stop asking there, there is, and yet your world has been changed for for yes. forever. Sally, if I can go to you and ask you a similar question. So within a matter of months, um, you also lost your mum. What was it for you that prompted you to reach out to a support group? For me, like him, loneliness was really prevalent. Um, so my mum died in November 2019 suddenly and I had to go back to the UK and I found myself on the next flight and I was thrown into navigating grief and 
And when I got back to Australia after that month of being in the UK and sorting all of her estate out, I was geographically away from like so many people that were my main like supporters, so family and friends from back home. And so that was really tough, but also because we're, we're we're not great about talking about grief in society, people tend to shuffle around the topic or not really know what to say. And I think because a lot of my peers hadn't experienced a big loss, despite having like friends around me, it was hard to really truly talk about what I was going through. And grief is all consuming, right? We are, but we're not prepared for it. And it's hard to know what to expect. And when you're in it, you know, it's, it's exhausting. The emotions are overwhelming. Some of them are really surprising. You know, people think that grief is just, you know, is sadness, but it's so much more than that. You know, it's, it's guilt, it's jealousy, it's, um, it's all sorts of things. And I really wanted to connect with someone that understood what I was going through in real time. And, and, and that I could share those experiences with, because I think, if no one around you is kind of going through a loss, it can be hard to understand if what you're experiencing is normal. Hugely, yeah, hugely hard to kind of understand if if that is part of the process or what should I be doing differently? Uh, how do we kind of navigate this differently? Sally, if I can stick with you, what was it about the connection with Imogen that kind of sparked the friendship in those moments of kind of feeling that loneliness as well as all of those other emotions, sadness, anger, frustration, <laughs> regret, <laughs> uh, disbelief? What was it that, that you saw that kind of sparked that, that friendship at that time? Well, so we, we met up, at a, it was like a a meetup for 10 people um it was like a lunch in a pub and i think i came in late didn't i im um and yes. we both just fashionably late fashionably <laughs> late you know when you just vibe someone you just there's just like an energetic exchange and you just kind of know that they're your sort of person and we all went round the table and we shared like what our loss was when it happened and you know um um, a bit more about our stories and Im and I obviously shared that we were in our early 30s that our mums died suddenly um, and I think we just felt that connection um, and then I left early so I arrived late left early you know just keeping people on their toes and um, and then Im dropped me a, a Facebook DM didn't you Im and um, I just kind of knew that she would be my sort of person, but also that we had so much that we could probably relate to each other on. So that, you know, the sudden loss, being a similar age, um, the kind of shock of, of sudden loss, which can be really huge. Um, and yeah, I was just drawn to her. And then we just hit it off straight away, didn't we, Im, when we met for that wine? I'm going to go with a woo-woo answer for this, mm. if that's all right, Ali. <laughs> of I feel like... <laughs> Sal and I have this thing where we feel like our mums brought us together mm -hmm. and not sure if you're open to the spirituality side of things, but we, we felt a pull to go. And like, I would say that we're mm. not your usual support type people. Like we've got friends, we've got family. Um, it was way out of our comfort zone, but something was pulling both of us to this event that day. And we didn't know what it was, but now we obviously know what it was. It was to meet each other, but it was just this like, yeah, this weird connection. And like mm. Sal said, we didn't even really talk on the day. We didn't get a chance to speak one-on-one -on -one at all. And Sal left early and um, 
I just felt really like pulled to reach out to her via Facebook out of all of the women that were there. And she said she felt the same. Um, We've got our beautiful text messages, like our first ever Facebook messages that we sent to each other. And it was like, I felt the same too. Um, So yeah, I feel like as well as we also have so many things in common, weirdly, but yeah, we felt like there was a pull for us to meet and which is really special. It might have been your mum saying you need to watch Line of Duty, but um, I believe <laughs> <laughs> it's not just Line of Duty though. Yeah, it's like op shopping. My mum loved op shopping, and Sal loves op shopping. Like she's literally like my mother's ideal daughter. It's weird. She's like, I'm just going to drop this person into your life to look after you in your grief because I'm not here anymore. It really feels like that sometimes. It's so special. Like it's a one once in a million type of friendship that just don't come along every day and it's just so random how it all came about so yeah random yeah, random or not but um random or not yeah, yeah. <laughs> Imogen if I go to you that is I mean it's a beautiful spark and obviously a um not quite the right word but almost a net in in the loneliness of grief in that period of time it's one thing to have that to to have that connection and invest in that kind of friendship it's a whole other thing to turn around and say hey let's start a podcast and grow a community (laughs) talk to me a little bit about (laughs) the um the conversation around okay where do we what do we what more can we do here it is a bit wild when you think about it. Like we were in the depths of the most traumatic thing in our life and we're like, let's start a podcast. Um, no, so we would meet up and we would talk for hours and hours about grief. <laughs> Sounds like lots of fun. Um, but it was just so nice and so refreshing. And we said to each other one day, we're like, if we were feeling so alone and so lonely in our experience, imagine how many other like, thousands of millions of people out there are feeling the same way. And we just, we felt like there was a lack of relatable resources that spoke to us, like people, you know, our age, like that in-between age bracket. And we just, yeah, we just felt like there just wasn't enough support out there that really spoke to us and talked about grief, you know, the realities of grief. And we, had a little brainstorm like what what could we do we sort of threw around the idea of doing a supper club but it was peak COVID so we got rid of that idea pretty quickly We're like no one can come so um and then we just had a light bulb moment to start a podcast and it just took off from there like it was meant to be it was yeah it was it was wild it all happened really quickly and I think you know when things just flow really easily and everything just came came together really well and then yeah we launched the podcast about six weeks after we had the idea and it just took off straight away and like to Im's point we I think we both realized because I think you don't necessarily think about grief until you're in it until it happens to you and then you realize that it's something we all go through but we don't really talk about it and we don't know how to prepare ourselves for it and like him said we found that when we were looking for grief resources there just wasn't really much out there here in Australia anyway that that spoke about grief in a really modern and relatable way with honesty because there are so many elements to grief that you might not necessarily know or know how to talk about 
And, you know, we both like a good laugh as well. So we we're like, what can we do to bring something different to this space that's relatable and, and help other people? Because there must be so many other people going through going through loss and, and maybe trying to navigate it alone. So, um, yeah, it, it just happened really quickly and, and it really took off uh, from the get-go, which we're super grateful for. The, the gap in not having the conversations, not having the information is, is really true. Grief is something that we want to talk about quickly and succinctly and in a box and have it sorted. Sally, if I go to you, um, and this might be a bit strange question, but I'm interested to see what might come up for you. What's like you would no doubt unprepared for grief. Um, and truthfully, if someone said, hey, you need to be prepared for grief, you're like, oh, that's not going to come to me anyway. I'll be fine. <laughs> um, so we, we don't always kind of get invited to that. But what surprised you about your own experience of grief, whether it was early on, three months in, six months in, or even now, what surprised you about what are those bits that people just didn't tell you about? I guess is probably a better way to ask that question. Yeah, quite a few things. Um, one of the things that surprised me was just how much admin comes with with the death. Like my mum, I was the main um, ex. Um, I, I had to deal with the whole of her estate, and uh, there's a lot involved when someone dies that you, you just you know don't realise the extent of all of the stuff that you have to organise. But something that really surprised me was. Um, how well I coped actually with going back to work and I went back to work two months after she passed away and I was firing on all cylinders going to client meetings like really performing really well and it made me discover that there are different kind of coping styles with grief because I I think we judge ourselves really hard when we're grieving and for me I wondered why I was coping relatively well in terms of the day to day. And I, you know, I thought, should I not be more emotional? Like, why am I able to like deliver like my work and like, you know, 10 client meetings without breaking down? Like how, you know, is there something wrong with me? And I'd have moments, you know, in the evenings and weekends where, you know, I'd have, I'd be flooded with the emotions, but generally speaking, I was okay. And I actually really judged myself hard for that. And what I've learned is that we all process grief really differently. And some people like myself are able to channel their grief by doing practical things or, you know, are able to kind of um, rationalize their grief a little bit more. And that is perfectly okay. Um, But it's something that I, yeah, I was really concerned about at first because I thought, shouldn't I be on the floor constantly? How am I able to like continue with my career and, and be like outwardly fine? Does it mean I don't care? I'm not grieving. So that's something that, that really surprised me. And I've, um, it's been a big learning that, that there, yeah, there's no one size fits all to grief. And, and some people, they, they can manage day to day. And it doesn't mean that you don't feel the grief or the loss. It's, um, it's just your, mm. your coping style. Such a good point. Imogen, similar question to Mm. you. Is there something that kind of surprised you or kind of went, no one told me about this? (laughs) (laughs) So many things. This is a whole podcast on its own. Um, I think one of the major ones, and this is one we hear within our community a lot, is how physical grief is. People Mm. think it's just an emotional experience, but my gosh, 
it is so physical, like the full body exhaustion, like panic attacks, um, grief face, Sal and I have coined a term. We, we feel like we've aged like 20 years since our mums died. Like it's a real it thing. Like, we've got the gray hairs going. It changes your face. Like you just look different. <laughs> and it's something that we, we did a social post about it, didn't we, Im? And um, recently yeah. and a lot of our community members were like, yes, we feel the same. Like it just, yeah. you just feel like you look different. Um, I mean, the stress and tiredness probably does that, but it, it, it can feel like you've been on a week-long bender. It's that tiring. like And, and that is, yeah, it's surprising. And that's something no one prepares you for, like the physical side of grief. And then I guess there's the whole societal expectations as well. Like they were surprising. Like people just think that grief is a task that you can tick off and it's done. And yeah, but it's not. It's a lifelong process of like, integrating your loss into your life and building your life around your loss, which I had no idea about. And I'm still learning as I go, you know, years into it, that it's not going away anytime soon. And I kind of kind of make friends with it in a way and accept that it's always going to be a part of me. So yeah, those, those be the two major, majorly surprising aspects of grief for me. So you started the podcast in September 2020. We're chatting in, in 2022. Uh, but alongside that, you have also and are building a community uh, to provide resources, support, conversations to um, to really invite people into what is grief, what does that mean from an honest and a humour kind of perspective. In terms of, and you talk about, and I love this term of the changing stages of grief. What have you learnt through the podcast conversations about the changing shape of grief? Imogen, I'll go to you first. Well, so you mentioned the stages there. This is something that I'd love Mm. to share with your audience in case people don't know. Um, So... Often when you're grieving, the first thing you kind of do is you just search for help, like what's going on, is this normal? And you come across the five stages of grief, which are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And so I think people think that we grieve in this linear timeline and we go through these stages and then we hit acceptance and it's like, we're done. <laughs> but those stages were... Um, f- coined by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who is a Swiss psychiatrist, and she wrote on death and dying. So those stages were actually meant for people who were in, who were dying. So she was working with clients in palliative care, and they, those are the stages she observed with people at the end of their life. And then they've been adapted over the years and misinterpreted uh, into grief. And people think that, yeah, we grieve in a nice linear fashion, which is not the case so that was really interesting for us to find out because get your anger done by friday that'd be great (laughs) (laughs) speaking of anger oh my god today i this morning i woke up and i was right back in the anger stage Mm. i was messaging sal i'm like i'm full of rage again you know and it's been over two years since my mum died and she died by suicide and the the circumstances Mm. were really complicated but anger has been a very prevalent emotion for me but I was doing okay Mm. and today Mm. I woke up I'm like I'm back in the anger stage so it's really important for people to know like it just it's like Sal was describing to me in a voice note this morning she's like it's like a cycle mate we're just going to go round and round the cycle and it's so true you know and it's it's important to know that it just pops back up Mm. out of nowhere it can just 
literally pop back up and catch you off guard and even years down the track and there's that funny meme isn't there in like oh just googling the five stages of grief to see if I can bash them out in 20 minutes or something and yeah. I think people yeah. do yeah. people yeah, do think that, that you know you can just <laughs> yes, yeah <please. laughs> um I remember we were laughing with one of our podcast guests Joe Betts who um lost her husband suddenly and she was talking about wanting you know in the first year of her loss wanting to tick off the stages and almost like beat the grief but mm. you know it's it's hard to do and it will just rear its head like like Im says today like yeah you could be having a fine week and then all of a sudden the anger hits and I think yeah people sometimes put pressure on themselves to be able to move through the stages so it's important to know that that's you know it's not the case yeah but I think back to your question about grief evolving mm. um I think it's always it's always changing and always evolving and there's a really beautiful theory that we we love which is the growing around grief theory Sal you can tell me who who came up with that again I can't remember uh Dr Lois Tonkin yes Dr. Lois Tonkin created the theory growing around grief. And it's about how over time our grief doesn't shrink. Our grief doesn't get smaller. It's always there. It's always going to be painful. It's always going to be hard at times, but our life grows around it. And I really love that because it takes away the expectation that, you know, our grief has got to be getting better over time, which it doesn't. And we can we can be really harsh with ourselves and be like, I should be further along in my healing. Like this morning I could have woken up and, judged myself for feeling like I've taken 20 steps back but instead I just realized you know through all the work that we've done it's normal to be having these days even years after your loss and my life has grown around my loss you know there there has been beautiful moments which I thought I would never experience again because I was in such deep pain you know in the early months especially even in the early year like the first year um, but yeah, so that, that's a really great theory that, that we love. And I know a lot of our community members, um, do too. Sally, if I can go to you, one of the things around, and we've been talking about the grief and loss of a loved one or close family member, mm-hmm. but grief can come through loss in a whole range of different areas. It can be, and even over the last two years, I actually think there's probably residual grief and loss that hasn't been voiced and talked about in terms of loss of jobs, loss of innocence, the loss of family holidays that we haven't been able to have in your community and in the conversations on the podcast. Where do you see, I guess, that that opening or that invitation to talk about loss, both with the loss of uh, someone that we've loved dearly, but also in other areas of our life? So I think the last two years, what we've been experiencing are are living losses and they are very valid um, and a very valid form of grief. Um, We actually interviewed Julia Samuel for the podcast, who is um, one of the kind of leading grief experts in the UK and she's a psychotherapist and um, she, she talks about how, you know, living losses like they're painful and and they need to be spoken about because they are very real for people and they're a very real form of grief and I think if we can if we can find a space to be open and, and talk openly about about these losses then 
it makes them easier to comprehend and accept, wouldn't you say, Em? Definitely. Um, And I think there's been a real collective grief that we've all Mm. been feeling through the pandemic too. And that's something that I think a lot of people may not even recognise as grief, which is really Mm. important to highlight. Like, you know, we've we've lost a lot during the pandemic. We've lost a lot of lives, but we've also lost a lot of jobs and our freedoms when we were all in lockdown. Like we were grieving all those sorts of things and it took a toll on a lot of people. So I think, yeah, it's important to highlight that that is grief. And to recognise it and, and that it's okay. I think sometimes we don't highlight it because it's like, oh, yeah, but it's not as bad as or it could be way worse and so kind of quash that down. But... We minimise it, mm. yes. We minimise it, which we are very good at doing, which we shouldn't do. We should all acknowledge that it was a really, really hard time and we were grieving. Yeah. Even if I can go to you and shift to the question about supporting someone going through grief. So where you go, 100% of us are going to experience grief at some point. Uh, we are also going to be in that role of supporting someone going through grief. Um, probably a two-pronged question. What helped you when you were going through grief? What was it, the little things um, or maybe the big things that people around you did that was really valuable? Um And is there anything that maybe didn't help? Yes. So what helped me personally was having someone willing to listen. So by that, I mean someone holding the space, I guess is another way to call it. But I think as humans, when we see people that we love in pain, we just want to fix them. We want to fix the situation. But unfortunately, when it comes to the death of a loved one, there is nothing you can do to fix the situation. Nothing you can say is going to bring them back. And what happens is people tend to dish out well-meaning platitudes to try and make you feel better like oh she's in a better place or you know she wouldn't want you to be sad and while they are well-meaning they can also feel very minimizing to the person who is grieving and it kind of yeah you lose the opportunity for a really honest conversation about how you're really feeling so I really appreciated people that were just willing to go this is shit I am here with you. I'm going to sit with you. Just whatever you need, you tell me, like, I'll be here and just get it all off your chest. And that's what I found with Sal was amazing. She knew exactly what to do because she was going through it. But for people supporting who haven't been through grief, they don't know what to do. It's really awkward and it's really uncomfortable. So a lot of people don't know what to say. So they either say platitudes or they don't say anything at all, which is also really shit. Um, so I think that that if you are supporting someone through loss, yeah, avoid the platitudes and just acknowledge the magnitude of the loss and yeah, mm. be willing to just sit with them and hear whatever they have to say without trying to make make them feel better. Real talk is welcome. Like just being super, super honest and open. And if you if you're listening to this thinking, shit, I've said a few platitudes. <laughs> Don't stress it. We've said them. We've said them. Yeah, it's um, (laughs) you know, yeah, it's nothing to stress about. But I think yeah, just real talk. Just just like Im said, like saying like this is shit. I'm here for you. Like I'm really sorry you're going through this. Um, it's bloody awful. Whatever I can do, you know, to to be there, I will. Um, 
I think for me, people just checking in like regularly really helped me. Sometimes you don't feel like texting back. So when people said, you know, no need to reply at the end of the text, it let me know the pressure was off. Um, but it also showed that they were there and I knew that I had that support, even if I did, you know, didn't have the capacity to respond. So I think just, yeah, being really consistent um, and not dropping away after the first few months. Like we said earlier, you know, people think that maybe after a few months you might be getting back to normal or, you know, not realising that grief is something that you learn to live with, but it's always there. You just integrate it into your life. So being consistent with your support and continuing to show up for longer than you think you need to, that really, really helped me. I've got another great tip. (laughs) We've got loads of tips for people. Um, But one would be like, you wouldn't think it, but when you're grieving and someone asks you like, how are you? It's quite possibly one of the worst questions yeah. to ask. Not Hello, good. Ellie, I can see by your reaction you've had that before. You know, it's just like, I'm not fucking great. But we always just say, I'm fine. Often we yeah. say I'm fine yeah. because it's just easier. They don't want the answer. <laughs> no, yeah. they don't want the answer. They don't want the real truth. So what we suggest to people supporting would be just like, at a today at the end of that question. Mm. So like, how are you doing today? Like literally in this moment, like what's happening for you right now? Not how are you generally, because we're awful and we're not going to be honest when you ask that question. So yeah, just bringing it right back to today or in this exact minute, how are you, how are you doing right this second um, is also really helpful. Yeah. And do you need some food or a tissue or anything else? Yeah. <laughs> I've yes. got one more actually. Go Sally. Another one is is just, if you can, make note of the important date. So maybe it's the day their person died or maybe it's their person's birthday. Like just pop it in your calendar and just send a text on those days. It literally has to be, I'm thinking of you and, you know, I'm sending you my love. It doesn't have to be a grand gesture, but it can mean a lot to someone who's grieving. And even like on their birthday, you know, birthdays without our people can be really hard. And so just being mindful of those days that might be tough for them um, and just letting them know you're there, that can be like a massive thing that you can do that doesn't, you know, cost anything, but can mean so much. Super practical and and really helpful Uh just to have that sense of knowing what can I do and that's often what what people are trying to crave at that point. Imogen, earlier you said you talked about the physicality of grief, how it weighs physically heavy on us and it can be really draining from an energy point of view. One of the ways of navigating the the changing shape of grief is starting to set boundaries uh, and starting to prioritise yourself in order to protect that energy to protect that that kind of physicality of grief. What are some of the boundaries or some of the tools, resources that you have uh, that have helped or that you want to be putting into place more if they're not there <laughs> or that have helped for a little while? What, what are some of those boundaries that have helped for you? Sal and I were shocking with boundaries prior to going into grief, weren't we, Sal? Like awful terrible we just (laughs) awful like I didn't really even know I needed them hadn't been taught how to have them healthily um I just didn't have them and so it was a real learning for me learning about boundaries and it 
I think like, yeah, because grief is so exhausting, you need to reserve all the energy that you have, the little energy that you have to grieve. And I think the major one is saying no to things that you don't want to do or you don't feel 100% committed to doing. Um, we interviewed Alira Potter and she she's boundary queen and she taught us like if it's if it's not a hard and like what was it Sal? if it's a, if it's a half yes then it's a hard no is that what she said yeah yeah so like she, we've been living by that now i think as well like in the age of social media everything is like immediate and we're you know used to kind of responding to requests or to you know invitations like straight away when actually we might not feel like feel like it's might be might not be up for socializing we might not have the energy um so it's just taking a bit of a pause before you respond you know Mm. do i have the capacity to commit to this you know does this person kind of drain my energy or will this situation drain my energy um and just having a real like think about whether it's something you can commit to or not and i i think grief can really make you reassess your priorities because you know it is exhausting uh, emotionally and physically but also it can shine a light on the relationships we have with others so putting boundaries in place if there are people that drain you or perhaps aren't being as supportive um, for you in your grief or dishing out the platitudes like just learning to yeah like to say no if there's a social situation that you think might be difficult for you especially if you're in the early days of grief um, it can be so empowering and you know it's not always easy to do like Im said we were not great at boundaries but then the grief process and and being kind of overwhelmed and stretched thin um made us kind of learn that it's super important to implement them saying no is is easier to say than do sometimes in action but Mm. so important in terms of of protecting that time sal sal does a good thing where she puts her phone to bed as well you know i think that's a good boundary that she has she's like after a certain time at night i am uncontactable i'm like but wait i need to talk to you now so she puts her phone on flight mode which i really admire mm. i am unable to do that myself but i think it's a really really good strategy good tool to have and be like nope this is my cutoff time because i think you know you can get really exhausted if you're just sort of always on as well and can social yeah. media can be really draining too mm. I think it's knowing what drains you and what energizes you and learning that and then kind of like for me being always on and looking at my phone constantly I find it drains my battery and if I'm having a really griefy day or I'm going through a period where I feel you know my grief is really kind of present and heavy then I know that if I'm like scrolling on social media or constantly available that's going to drain my battery further so yeah the old flight mode after 8 p.m works a treat for me and I just feel like I can get stuck into my crime dramas instead you know (laughs) a guilty pleasure there's always more more crime dramas to watch (laughs) my husband's always like you're grieving and now you're watching something that's really miserable I'm like I find it soothing and I know that's weird (laughs) the the flip side of that when you were talking about the importance of saying no recognizing what drains you what has also Mm -hmm. helped you to say yes when the energy has been low or sometimes in the grief we pull back um, and it's incredibly justifiable and important to do that but then the stepping back out or saying yes again 
uh, is is kind of the next skill, the next learning to have. Sally, if I go to you, what helps you make that kind of call between am I actually protecting my energy or am I avoiding the platitudes, the conversation, and I just don't want to go? <laughs> It's having that, yeah, it's having that awareness, you're absolutely right, of, of and having that balance of the yes and the no. I think for me, something I've been really conscious of is keeping connections with others and making sure that I am still connecting on a regular basis, especially in the early days of, of my grief, because that is so important to help you feel supported. Um, little like daily practices as well like going for a walk in nature you know doing some breathing exercises things that those things I find to be really energizing and are just a really they're just really small things that you can do as well um but I think keeping connected has been a big one um and and making sure that that regular you have that regular contact so that you do feel sort of um you feel like you've got a bit of a, a lift behind you. Hmm. Anything for you, Imogen? I think Sal pretty much covered it there. I think it's really important. And the, there's something else uh, with boundaries. I think for me, it's learning to listen to my intuition as well. Like listen to my gut. Mm-hmm. What's my gut telling me to do? You know, because I think we can often deny that part of ourselves. And I think as women, we're very in sync with our intuition and our body will tell us like we will literally have a physical reaction if we don't want to do something and I think Mm. getting back in touch with that has been important for me and I think yeah listening to your gut and your intuition um in terms of when to put boundaries in and when to step back in is is really is key and sometimes it's tricky like sometimes I'm like is it anxiety or is it my intuition I don't know um but yeah I think we all have that ability within us to be able to listen to our bodies and and what what it's telling us to sometimes having a really good friend who can hold up the mirror and go oh no it's come on it's it's your anxiety time to get out of your pajamas mate totally and I think also it's just being like realistic with yourself about what you can and you can't do I think sometimes we feel like we need to kind of motor along at the same pace after a loss and sometimes that's just it's not easy to do it's not possible so having kind of a really good think about what what is possible for you and what's not and how you can kind of rebalance your day or your week um, so that you do have some of those boundaries in place for yourself to, you know, preserve your energy, but you're not like cancelling all of your plans and, you know, Mm. becoming a hermit. I think it's just being realistic about what's on your plate. Yeah, absolutely. Being much more discerning and just sometimes stopping long enough to ask yourself that question uh, is is Mm -hmm. what's really important in that moment. Even with grief, navigating energies, boundaries, um, dates, uh, all of those things, life is also happening um, alongside grief. So there are things that are growing and shifting and changing. Um, Sal, you shared that you have received a late ADHD diagnosis Talk to me a little bit about what led to receiving that diagnosis and and what are some of the things that are, I guess, helping you in kind of managing that? So I I always thought that maybe I I, I might have had um, inattentive ADHD 
I I tend to sort of lack focus and drift off mid-sentence and a few things that just made me think um, perhaps it might be something that I have but a big one was anxiety which can be um, common in undiagnosed um, adults who are undiagnosed with ADHD but the thing that led me to, to being diagnosed was actually my husband got diagnosed and we were laughing because he always used to say to me You've you've got you've got ADHD. You need to go and get um, assessed. And never in a million years would we would we have thought that he, that he had it. And then he went to the doctors about um, you know he was struggling with anxiety. And the doctor was asking him questions. And they said, I actually think that the root cause of this is that you have inattentive ADHD. And he called me up after and said, You're never going to guess what the doctor said. Anyway, so his diagnosis led me to then think, well. Perhaps it's something I should explore, but I was always hesitant to because, you know, I I had a good career. I held down, you know, a great career. It never impacted impacted that, didn't impact my relationships. It was more, I think, my sense of self, my confidence, and then the anxiety that I felt. Um, and so the diagnosis for me has been, it's been great because it's given me an insight into some, you know, some of my anxiety but it's also made me learn you know some some sort of strategies um to yeah to 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 help and 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 the medication has been helpful as well um in terms of focus and um I think you just you you start to explore elements of yourself that you might have just thought well that's just me um you know but now I know maybe it's maybe it's the ADHD so it was a yeah it was a it was a surprise but then you start to I think you I think there's a grief sometimes with these diagnoses as well because you look back at your life and you look back at you know I look back at my teenage years and I struggled at school I was a real rebel and I I really didn't um, I really found school hard and now I think I wish that I had had that diagnosis back then because it might have made things a lot easier um you know things like concentration and focus like it was hard for me even though I was you know I performed well and I could I could do the work at school it was I just really struggled to pay attention um and I think yeah I often think what 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 would have that been that experience been like if I'd have had that diagnosis back then yeah useful to um just understand and to understand what's going mm. on and and uh yeah combine that or overlay that with grief or not it's it's you know just mm. important to kind of get clear on that Imogen if I go to you navigating being a parent to a toddler uh and growing a community growing a business how do you manage to kind of balance that oh <laughs> some days I honestly <laughs> don't know it's a lot so my daughter is three years old and she's very, what's the word that they're using now? Spirited. She's a very spirited child. So I think it's a nicer way of saying headstrong. <laughs> and it's a real challenge. Um, and I was never really a maternal woman either. Like I never, I wasn't really obsessed with having babies. It was just, it was something that may have happened. I wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't wasn't necessarily for me. Let's just put it like that. And then I fell pregnant and have my daughter and I'm doing the best that I can, but like, it's a lot. Like juggling motherhood is a lot and juggling motherhood and grief and business is also a lot. I think I, 
I have to just, yeah, really listen to myself and listen to my body and not get burnt out because she is very demanding. So constantly needing, you know, my attention. And I also give so much of myself to good morning. It's really hard sometimes to find that balance. Um, Sal is always at me. She's like, mate, clock off, (laughs) go and spend some time for yourself. Even if it's just 30 minutes before I go and pick her up from daycare, but I do sometimes feel like there is just no break. Like when you have a kid, like there's just, it's just constant. So I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Um, but it's also amazing. It's a beautiful chaos. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it, and it is constantly changing where you were talking about, where you were talking before about the changing shape of grief. You figure out how to <sighs> work alongside a three-year-old and then they turn four and then they <laughs> turn five. Yeah, so it's constantly changing. Constantly changing. You think you've just got a handle on this age and then they change completely and you're like, I don't know who you are anymore. <laughs> I want my <laughs> two-year-old back. Um, no, but it, it is amazing and I learn a lot from her too. You know, I think having having a child, she makes me be more present than I think I would have otherwise. Like I'm, I'm a lot more in the moment when I'm with her and I, I really try to, I, th- I guess part of my switching off from my grief and, and everything else is like being present with her. When she says, mommy, come and play with me. At the moment, she's playing with these little kangaroo toys and in this house. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'll 15 minutes, I'll come and play that with you. And I'm just immersed in her little world and it's quite nice to have a break from everything um I'm 15 minutes is is good for me that then I'm like okay back to adult world yep. but yeah it's it's a funny old thing this might be a um an interesting question but have there been any learnings from grief that um have been an upside in the way that you whether it's connections whether it's with family uh friends um it's not quite the right way of saying it in terms of is there an upside to grief, but what have been the the things or the the awareness or the um, understandings that that you've received because of going through and continuing to go through something really hard? I think that grief can really crack you open. Um, it can teach you the fragility of life, which can be painful, but it can also be beautiful. Um, I think I appreciate people a lot more than I did before. I think it's taught me so much about love and and life. Mm -hmm. And I think I wish as much as I wish that these were all lessons that I could have learned while my mum was still here and I could have implemented them into my relationship with her. It's just not the way that it works, you know? And yeah, so I think there are some gifts in the pain, you Mm -hmm. know, and I don't, I don't ever want people to feel like they need to find purpose or anything like that. But sometimes, you know, grief, grief can be beautiful and, there are moments now where I'm really, really fucking present with the people that I love because I'm like, tomorrow isn't promised. You know, you're not going to be here forever because I know that now and I didn't know that before. So I think there are moments where I'm a lot more connected um, with people that I love than I, than I was before grief. I think for me, you know, it makes you look, grief really makes you look inwards. It can really make you the pain of the pain can be so intense 
that I think it it makes you it for me anyway it's made me much more vulnerable uh, and not afraid to be vulnerable and kind of foster those connections with people but also like I feel like my empathy for others is much much deeper now and I think you develop real compassion for others as well um, especially going through you know painful things like loss and also through the work that we've done connecting with amazing people and and our community has for me has been a real silver lining and obviously my friendship with him um but I think definitely definitely the compassion for others it's 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 really strengthened strengthened that that for me Mm. and uh I'm really grateful for it there's always you know two sides to those coins between kind of that the pain the hardness of it but but we grow and almost to that theory Mm. you were talking about growing around it um, and what do we we kind of learn through that? I remember years ago the um, just being so frustrated, like my tolerance for the bullshit just disappears. Mm. <laughs> you know, where people's complaining about yes. the uh, photocopy, I'm like, yeah, no, that no longer matters. <laughs> In amongst it all, trivial things are just yeah, yep. got no time for it. And I think it's really important to. It's important to let people know as well, like you don't have to find any meaning in your loss and you don't have to be grateful for anything or to feel like there's any good that comes out of it. I think sometimes there's this, mm. there, there's this kind of narrative of like the hero's journey that we kind of find some sort of meaning or purpose from the, the shit things that happen to us and the painful things. And um, it's also important to say like, while Im and I have found that it has, there have been some tiny upsides to awful this awful thing that's happened. That doesn't doesn't mean that there has to be for everyone. What are some of the conversations that you've got maybe coming up on your podcast that you're really excited to dive into or to share or invite the community into? Imogen, I'll go to you first. Oh my gosh. Okay, <laughs> Sal and I have actually recently had our dream guest. Like we had our dream interview, and it was incredible. Like. We've been hunting this woman down, trying to get an interview with her for so long and it happened. So we're over the moon, um, but we recently interviewed Laura Lynn Jackson. So if people aren't familiar with her, she is an author and one of the world's best psychic mediums. So she's a certified medium. She's been, she's done testing, you know, scientific testing on her brain. She's the real deal. And she's written two incredible books, one called Signs and one called The Light Between Us. And um, that finding her and her work like helped us in our grief so much in, in understanding that death isn't the end. It's not the end of the relationship with the person who died and you can still connect with them. And it's, a different language obviously we use now through asking for signs from our mums but it's still a way of keeping them alive and feeling like we can still have some form of a relationship with them so we interviewed Laura and it was everything we could have hoped for and more she was phenomenal um, so that's coming out in our most recent season season five of the podcast um, so for me that would be the highlight of upcoming guests but we've, we've interviewed some amazing people. How about for you, Sally, in terms of the conversations um, that you'd be diving into with your community? What are you excited about? 
Really excited for Laura Lynn Jackson. Um, we've also got a conversation with Indira Naidu coming up, um, who I absolutely love. And I know you've interviewed her as well, Ali, actually, for your podcast. Um, mm. But that was a really fascinating conversation. And I really loved her take on grief. So um, that would be a big one for me. And yeah, Laura's, um, Laura's interview is absolutely amazing. So if anyone's interested in the spiritual side of things or connecting with the other side, then definitely look out for that. I'm really, I love what you guys are bringing to this conversation about grief and really that invitation to the community to go, it's okay to talk about it, whether you're in the depth of it, whether you, it's been a few years, whether you may not be there yet, but but to have the language and the energy and the conversations around it is really key. So thank you for sharing just a little snippet and the inside of some of that in this conversation. If I come full circle with my final question to you both, the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. What does it mean to you when you hear that term, standout life? Sally, I might go to you first. Not being afraid to be vulnerable and to be your authentic self. Yeah, I think, yeah, being your authentic self, like making the most of your life I think no matter what happens to Mm. you as well you know we've been dealt some really awful cards but we've made the most of it and I think yeah just keep going you know and and make the most of your life no matter what happens I'd sign up for that Sally Im thanks so much (laughs) for your time it's been I've, I've loved this conversation thanks so much Ali thank you so much Ali it's been lovely to connect If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.